Now, I wonder if we could uh, turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll read from verse 12 of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 12 of the chapter. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the house of Steph- household of Stephanus. Uh, besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts for his name's sake. Let's unite again, please, in a wee word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, as we come to thee, we thank thee for Christ, the wisdom of this world, and the power of this world. And we recognize, our God, that in the midst there is mighty power. And, O oh God, that we might experience something of the power of the Lord. Uh, we pray that we might see the wisdom that there is in thy precious word, O God, that thou wouldst uh, overrule uh, and undermine 
the wisdom of this world and let men see true wisdom that is found in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with us now. Bless thy word to our souls, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. A number of years ago, uh, the Southern Baptists in America made the news uh, where they went on an outreach in Chicago amongst the Jewish people. Their home mission board targeted a Jewish section of Chicago in an attempt to evangelize them. And the issue was uh, so controversial that it got onto a Fox News program. Uh, it was called the O'Reilly Factor. And O'Reilly uh, was questioning the Jewish rabbi who was complaining about the Southern Baptists uh, evangelizing and praying for them. He, he say, uh, uh, O'Reilly asked the rabbi, what was the problem? And the rabbi said, the problem is that the Southern Baptists are praying for us uh, and they are uh, seeking uh, to reach us. And O'Reilly said, well, what's wrong with that? And the rabbi said, well, what I mean by praying for us is that they're praying for our souls uh, and they are praying that we are converted so that we do not go to hell. And O'Reilly was taken back by their assertion, he couldn't believe that the Southern Baptists would think that the Jewish people were going to hell, and he turned to Dr. Paige Patterson, who was there to represent the Southern Baptists, and he said to Dr. Patterson, surely that's not true. Surely what the rabbi has said, that's not your intention to go in there and to say to the Jews that unless they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going down to a lost eternity. Well, Dr. Patterson didn't, uh, he didn't uh, uh, resile from what they were doing. He said, well, I can't deny the word of God. I, I can't go by anything other than what the Bible says to me. And the Bible tells me that neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men, whereby we must be saved. He said, the Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And he asserted that there was no salvation outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, O'Reilly was completely taken aback by that, and he used the rest of the program to attack uh, Dr. Patterson and the Baptists that they would have uh, the audacity in any way to suggest that people were going down to a lost eternity. But in our culture today, it has become very unpopular to assert that there's only one way of salvation. The culture today says that there are many ways to God, that all the religions lead in their different ways to the same God. And it was the same in the days of the Apostle Paul, the same attitudes were seen nearly 2,000 years ago. And that's why Paul says in the verse there, verse 18, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved it is the, word of, the power of God. 
Paul's mission was to proclaim the gospel and to bring the gospel of Christ's death and Christ's resurrection and the salvation that comes to the cross. And it it was his desire to bring that message, that saving message, to men and women. And the simple message is, men and women, that if you want to get to heaven, you can't sidestep the cross. Dr. Allen Redpath said, and I quote, All highways of biblical truth lead to the cross. The whole emphasis of the gospel records is upon his death and upon his life. The latter was ever leading to the former. And so it is tonight that we want to get to the very heart of the message of the gospel once again. And we want to see the preaching of the cross. And I want us to see its power in this day and generation. I want us to see the way that the gospel message, the word of the cross, the message of the cross is seen in this text of Scripture, verse 18 in particular. And first of all, then, I want you to see that the message of the cross is a saving message. That's the first and fundamental thing. He describes it there in verse 18 as the preaching of the cross. And what does it mean when it speaks of the preaching of the cross? Well, of course, it speaks of the uplifting and the making known the message of the cross work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how he died there as a sacrifice for men and women. He didn't come to judge the world when he came the first time, but he came to save men and women. We read in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and gave his life a ransom for many. And I want you to think about the preaching of the cross tonight. The preaching of the cross is, first of all, the message of the preaching of the cause of the cross. We've got to get to the reason for the cross. Why was the cross necessary? Well, because, first of all, the perversity of men. It was necessary because men and women are sinners in the sight of a holy God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 5 and 12, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. And you're going down to death, and there is that, uh, uh, that spiritual death that leads to eternal death. And dear friend, without the Lord Jesus Christ, we are sinners by nature and sinners by practice. And that is an awful problem because not only do we see the perversity of man, but there is the penalty of sin. Every man, it says in James 1 verses 14 and 15, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and entice. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Physical death is included, of course, but more we're speaking about the spiritual death. And then the gospel is necessary not only because of the perversity of men and the penalty of sin, but because of the providence of God. We read that 
the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And we know that the cross was planned in the purposes of God. It says in Acts chapter 2 where Peter was preaching the gospel there under the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves know, him be delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked men have crucified and slain. And thank God for the great purpose and plan of God that uh, was not going to leave men in their sin, was not going to leave men to be destroyed and go down to damnation. But I'm glad tonight that our Savior ordained the cross He planned the cross. He planned the way of salvation. It is God's way of salvation tonight. And that's what we want to proclaim. We think about the preaching of the cause of the cross. But then we also preach the Christ of the cross. Because Christ is the very center of this message. Paul says here, we preach Christ and him crucified there in verse 23. And the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is the very center of the gospel. Without Christ, there is no gospel. He's the mediator of the new covenant. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We needed a sinless Savior, and there was no other that was sinless. We needed one who is a God-man, who was able to stand between God and man. He is the God-man. And here he is as the only one who can do the job of salvation. Now, of course, as we say, that's a message that is very contrary to the culture of this day and generation. There is no uh, proclamation that is as much resisted by Westerners and by uh, ungodly men in this day and generation. But we uplift the one Savior tonight. We say neither is there salvation in any other. And dear friend, if you want to be saved, you've got to come to Christ. You've got to come by the way of his cross. You've got to bow at that cross of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to proclaim the Christ of the cross. And then we want to proclaim the cruelty of the cross. Not so much, you know, we can speak about the awful pains that our Savior went through. Um, John Stott, in his classic book, The Cross of Christ, speaks about the unprecedented and unparalleled violence of the cross, and he describes it as the most humiliated form of execution. In fact, a hundred years before the Lord Jesus put upon the cross, the Roman philosopher and lawyer Cicero debated the use of the cross, and he said it is a most cruel and disgusting punishment. But when we speak about the cruelty of the cross, and we we can at times uh, speak about the violence and what our Savior endured, and particularly about the wrath of God that was poured out upon him. But it's not so much that, but it is the fact that The cross was designed to humiliate. 
When the Romans, uh, well, the Babylonians really designed the cross, but the Romans took it on. And every aspect of the cross was designed to humiliate. The uh, victim was stripped naked. They were uh, left there to uh, die there in their bodily functions began to break down. And in every way, the, the Bible says, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And isn't that the point? Uh, uh, the man devised the cross. He thought he devised the cross. But you know, the Lord Jesus Christ was ordained to hang upon a cross because he was going to be made a curse for us. He was going to take our curse upon him. He was going to die in our room and in our stead. And oh, as we think about the cruelty, as were the curse of the cross, we recognize that it was for us that he hung and he suffered there. Oh, dear friend, can you despise the one who left the realms of glory and came into this sin-cursed scene of time, and there to die, to give himself to death, even the death of the cross. But then, of course, we proclaim the consolation, or the crowning of the cross. It says in Colossians 1, verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. And we have peace through the blood of his cross. The cross brings salvation to those who are his people, those that cry unto him for mercy, those that call and reach out by faith and seek the face of the Lord. I remember hearing the story. It was written by Robert Coleman. It was his book, Written in Blood, and he tells the story about a, a little boy uh, and who his sister needed a blood transfusion. And the little boy was the same blood type as the sister. And in the circumstances, uh, the uh, doctors went to the little boy and they said to the little boy, will you give blood for your sister? And he hesitated a little. And then with trembling voice, he said, I'll do it for my sister. So they brought the two uh, to, he was to get the, his blood taken. His, his sister was being prepared for an operation. Uh, and uh, they put the, uh, he, the, the, the little boy was there and the sister was wheeled in. And he looked at his sister and he smiled at his sister and then they inserted the needle to take the transfusion of blood. And then the smile went from his face. And he said to the doctor, when will I die? And then it just jailed why he had hesitated and why he'd been trembling in his voice. Because he thought that when his blood was taken, he would die. And he was willing to die for his sister. Now, we think... Of that, but how much more? We think of our Savior who went to the cross to die in our room and in our stead. And the crowning uh, uh, message of the cross is there's life 
for a look at the crucified one. There's life for you, dear friend. And the message of the cross tonight is a saving message. Those to come, that come to him, he will in no wise cast out. But not only is the message of the cross a saving message, I want you to see, secondly, that the message of the cross is a seemingly silly message. It says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. And unfortunately, not everyone appreciates the saving message of the cross. The word foolishness there is a word in the Greek that means stupid, unintelligence. It, it, it speaks actually of an unacceptable behavior of thought or speech. It, it is the word from which we derive our word moron. It's the word Maria. And in the Greek and Hebrew, or in the Greek and Roman mind, to believe in Christ and in the cross as a way of salvation was the belief of a moron. And to some today, and in every age, the whole concept of salvation by the death of the Savior on the cross of Calvary is a message that is silly, a message that is foolishness. And since the beginning of Christianity, we think of those, the unbelieving world has mocked the cross, has mocked the Savior. Even there, when our Savior was on the cross, what did they do? They took a robe and they put it upon him and they spit in his face and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they uh, mocked him. And when they put him on the cross, what did the crowd, the Jewish crowd and the others in the crowd, they, they uh, mocked him. They, this is Elias. Let him, if he be a prophet, let him come down from the cross. He saved him. Uh, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross. They mocked him. And how oh, men and women mock the message of the cross day by day. The intellectual people mock the cross. The intelligentsia of this day mock Christianity. That is the subject of laughter. It's the subject of scorn. And in many ways it's hard to endure that. And it knocks people back. And maybe, dear friend, it's something that would put you off coming you don't want the mockery of the world. You don't want to be uh, the subject of smiles and smirks and scorning. You don't want to be that, uh, under that kind of pressure. And I know that when you think about the world and its mockery of Christianity in the films, in the plays, in the books, in the publications of this day and generation, there's a mockery of the cross. And I know that it is something that uh, puts you off. It's something that really stops you coming to the cross of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't want to be out of step with the crowd, out of step with the world. But I want to ask you, dear friend, have there not been times in this world's history where the crowd has been wrong, where the general population has been wrong, you think of the days when they worshipped false gods. You think of India when, before the missionaries went to India. And when a man died, his wife was put on the funeral pyre along with her and burnt alive. Were they right in doing that? Was the crowd right? You think of 
before the world wars and when men and women were taken up with the philosophies of this world and the intelligentia of this world and how they uh, succumbed to the philosophy of Nietzsche. And, uh, they said, we want a superman. And there was the philosophy of the superman and of strength and of power. And that led to two world wars. Was the world right in that? No, the world has been wrong. The world is wrong in its philosophies. The world is wrong in thinking that man by his education and man by his, uh, his learning can bring about a better world because man is a sinner. And that's the problem. The Bible says that until the end of time, there'll be wars and there'll be rumors of wars and they will not stop. And people say about Christianity, it hasn't stopped the wars. Christianity never said that there would be an end to wars. It says that there'll be wars to the end of time. Well, what has brought about all of these things? The sin of man. The sin of the heart of man. Man's wrong. And dear friend, you would be foolish to go according to the crowd. What about your soul? What about your eternal welfare? Would it not be better to turn to the Lord and seek, even though the world counts this to be a foolish message? This is the message that has transformed the hearts and minds of men and women. It has brought about uh, incalculable good in this world. And dear friend, it has transformed the lives and hearts of men and women and countries and nations to the extent that it has influenced countries and nations. And dear friend, men may think about this message as seemingly silly, but this is the message that you need to listen to. But not only is it a saving message and a seemingly silly message to many, it's a strong message because Paul says that while it is regarded as foolishness to men and women, it says, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And men and women may think about it as foolishness, but the reality is that it is the power of God. Those that embrace the message of the cross have discovered it to be the greatest evidence and example of the power of God. This message has taken men's ruined lives and turned them around. It has taken the bottle out of a man's hand and put a Bible in his hand. It has taken a mouth of profanity and it has filled it with the praises of God. He can take the vile and make it virtuous. He can take that which is unholy and make it usable in the service of God. That's what the gospel does, and that's what it is seen. The word uh, for power there is the word dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite, but it also has the connotation of miracle. And this is a miracle, a miracle of grace, the, the greatest, maybe, of miracles. You know, the Lord Jesus, when he was upon the earth, he did many miracles. You think of how he made the blind to see and the deaf to hear and even raised the dead. But in some ways, those were only temporary because all of those people died again. So the miracle, as it were, in that sense, the miracle only lasted a little while. But you think of what the gospel does. It turns men into those that receive eternal life 
we, they're not, we're not only healed for time, but there is an effect that goes out into eternity. And the crucified Son of God is able to take that which is dead and trespasses and sin and give life and eternal life that will never come to an end. And that's the amazing thing about the gospel tonight. The Lord, this message is a message that is able to bring the news of eternal life. Surely, dear friend, that's something that you need to hear and that you need to heed. It's a strong message. But I also want you to see that it is a smart message. Because Paul, if you look at verse 20 there, he speaks uh, about this message as the power of God, but also it is the wisdom of God. Look at verse uh, 20 there. He says, uh, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Now, we've been talking about the wisdom of this world and how it despises the cross and despises the message of God and how men scorn and mock the message of salvation and the way of the cross. But at the end of the day, dear friend, what is going to be foolish? What is going to be manifested as foolishness is the wisdom of this world. The world by wisdom, the Bible says, knew not God. But man in his own wisdom knows not God. His wisdom turns him away from God. And that's foolishness. That's foolishness. And men and women cannot find salvation through education. You can't find salvation through learning. You can't find salvation through the redistribution of wealth or any of these things. That's what man has devised. They, they thought that by learning, the, the, the people, philosophers at the start of the 20th century really believed that because of learning and because of schooling, that this would bring a, an end to war. This would bring world peace. Today, they are speaking about equality and about uh, uh, diversity. And they think that if we can have equality and diversity, that this will bring about um, world peace. This will bring about a new world. No, it won't. No, it won't. The wisdom of this world. You, you see what he says there. He, he speaks about three groups. Where is the wise? The wise were the Greek philosophers of that day who had all kinds of theories and opinions about the spiritual dimension of life. Then he speaks about the scribe. And they were the uh, Jewish uh, copiers of the word of God. Those that were... Uh, supposedly uh, learned in the things of God. And then the disputer was the debater who was admired by the Greeks and the Romans in that day. And these three groups represent the wisdom of this world. But he says the, the world, verse 21, by wisdom knew not God. Man and his wisdom. It says in Romans 1, verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Martin Luther, in his sermon on the text there in uh, Corinthians, he said, 
All of our clever wisdom and reason can well serve to make mad saints and wild Christians, but they can never, never know our Lord Christ unless they become, first become fools again and humbly let themselves be taught and led to the simple word of God. And dear friend, that's the thing. You've got to come to the simple word of God. You see, this, this is the smart message. This is God's wisdom. And you need God's wisdom tonight. Not your own wisdom, not your own workings out, but you've got to humble yourself and come to the foot of the cross, and you've got to accept humbly the message of God's salvation. See what you are in the sight of a holy God. But not only is it the smart message, it's a simple message. You see, it is a simple... Now, there are aspects of this message that the smartest man or the smartest woman will never get to the bottom of. Uh, we cannot uh, understand God. We cannot get into the mind of God, and this is God's salvation. But there also is a simplicity about this message that a little child can understand. A little child of three or four, a little child, sometimes even younger, sometimes a little bit older, depending on the child when it comes to the years of understanding. But, but a little child can understand. You remember on the cross where the two thieves, and you remember the repentant thief, one that watched the Lord Jesus and he called out, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And you remember how the Lord Jesus answered, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And there he was simply acknowledging his need and asking for help. And that resulted in the change of his eternal destiny. And there's a simplicity about that. You don't need to go through ceremonies or rituals or any of these things, all you have to do is reach out by faith. And why, dear friend, there's a simplicity in this message, and why don't you just come simply and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Why don't you just simply seek the Lord Jesus Christ uh, for salvation? This is a simple message. But one more thing I want you to see, and that is there's a separating message. You see, if you look at the text there, verse 18, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved is the power of God. And you can see that there are two groups of people there. There's the perishing and there's the saved. There's a separation there. Dr. Vernon McGee, who speaks on radio, still speaks on radio, I think he's uh, passed away now, but he's still on the radio. But he's told the story about a young couple who just got married, and on their honeymoon, I think it was, they went on a tour of Europe from the United States, and they were in Paris in France. And they went into the Louvre, the Museum of Art there, in uh, Paris, where the Mona Lisa and uh, famous paintings are, 
and they were going round uh, looking at the paintings, but they weren't that interested in art. And as they were going round, they were sort of really bored with all of the, that they were seeing. They were just passing by, and painting after painting, and they were speaking to one another, and they said, imagine uh, charging two francs to sell, see all these old pictures. And there was a man, a gentleman behind them, and he heard what they were saying. And he said to them, he said, I come here every day and I spend hours. And he said, uh, the Louvre has been here for several hundred years. And when you come here, it's not the Louvre that's on trial. You are on trial. It's not what you think about the Louvre, but uh, it's not what you think, uh, what you think, uh, it, it, uh, the, it's not the Louvre there that's on trial. It's what you, what, uh, you think about the Louvre that matters, uh, but what the Louvre is that tells all about you, really. It tells more about you, what you think about the Louvre, uh, than what it is about the Louvre. Now, we might think about the Louvre, and it's just a museum at the end of the day. But dear friend, what does really matter is what you think about Christ. What do you think about the Savior? That's what tells about you. That's what really ma makes the difference. And there's no in-between here. There's no, the cross separates, and there are those, those that are saved, and there's those that are perishing. There's no in-between. You think of Pilate, when the Lord Jesus Christ was before him. And he thought that he could take a middle way. He thought that he could take the basin of water and he could wash his hands and say, I'm innocent of the blood of this just man. But there were only two groups at the cross. There were those that were perishing and those that were Christ's. And the question tonight is, which are you? Where do you stand? As far as the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned, we come here, every gospel preacher, the job of the gospel preacher is to preach the cross because, dear friend, it's the cross that makes the difference. Either you refuse Christ or you take Christ. Either you are saved by Christ or you're lost in your sin. Either you're saved or you're perishing there's no other way. The message of the cross divides, and it will divide when it comes to that day of judgment. There will be those that will sit on the left hand, and there will be those that will be put on the right, and the division is the cross. Dear friend, what way do you stand in regard to the cross? Are you saved tonight? Have you come to that cross and said, this is my beloved and this is my friend. This is my Savior. Or have you, like the crowd that was there in the wisdom of the world, mocked the Savior there on the cross? For you are mocking him by rejecting him. You're despising what he has done. You're turning your back on his offers of mercy. You have, you're turning your back upon the mighty Savior tonight. Where do you stand in regard to the cross?
the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us that are saved, it's the power of God. God's power seen in the transformation of our lives. And oh dear friend, I pray that you'll come tonight and see the power of the cross and the wisdom of the cross and that you'll seek the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. May you come and may you call upon him for mercy tonight. Let's just bow, please, in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee for the preaching of the cross. We do thank thee that there is a way of salvation at the cross. But Lord, we can't sidestep the cross tonight. There's no other way. There's no other means of salvation. So our God, we pray that thou wouldst cause men and women and young people to turn to thee and that they might seek the cross of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Write thy word upon hearts tonight and bless that word to our souls. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, I wonder if we could turn to the hymn 101 in closing. Blessed be the fountain of blood to a world of sinners revealed. And the chorus is whiter than the snow. Wash me in the blood of the Lamb, and I shall be whiter than snow. And dear friend, you can be washed in the blood of the Lamb tonight and can be made whiter than snow. The hymn 101, and we'll stand as we sing the hymn.
loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we pray that there may be those that will be cleansed and washed whiter than the snow in the precious blood of the Lamb. Part us in thy fear and with thy blessing now. Take us to our homes in safety. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with thy people both now and in the incoming days, for Jesus' sake. Amen.